0: Your Bibles, you can turn to Ezekiel 37. We're going to spend some, some time in the first 14 verses this morning. And the title of my message this morning is Dead Bones versus God's Breath. Dead Bones versus God's Breath. And though we're going to be looking individually at, at the passages of Scripture, these first 14 verses, I want to just read verse 14 to you. It will be kind of the, a text for us. When it says, and I will put my spirit in you, and you will live. And I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. How many of you are ready to see the hand of the Lord do something in your life where you sit back and you go, I know that that was the hand of the Lord that did it. Wonderful. Father, we come before you and we thank you for the the gift of your Son that gives us life and for the gift of your Holy Spirit that indwells us. And one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to enlighten the Word of God to us. We just don't understand it well unless your Holy Spirit reveals it. And so, Father, I ask today that you would begin to do a work in the heart and mind of every hearer that is both here today and those that will be hearing online. And that through your spirit, you will begin to unlock our understanding so that we can see the mighty power and the hand of God at work within situations in our life that we thought might be hopeless. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The prophet Ezekiel, if any of you have done any studying about him, is... He was a kind of a peculiar guy and did some peculiar things. Any of you know some peculiar people? I'm not talking about peculiar like we Christians are be called. I'm talking about really peculiar. <laughs> when Ezekiel was a young man at 25 years of age, he and his family and his nation suffered one of the worst disasters a nation or a people can ever experience. They were defeated in war because they had turned their back on the direction of God and As a captive of war, he was deported to the country of Babylon that was 900 miles from home, and it it wasn't a planned move. It was a vicious, forceful deportment. And the armies of Israel and Judah lay dead in this valley, just massively wiped out across the valley and the deserts of the Fertile Crescent, and the men that were left alive had chains put around their neck and put around their legs, and they were chained together like cattle, and they were pushed off and they were, as they were moving, they were forced to walk through the middle of the valley of this deadness and they passed the rotting and the pure, putrefying corpses of a once proud army. And if you know anything about the Jews, you know that Their burial is very important to them. That's why you keep reading that they were buried with the bones of their father because what would happen is there would be family tombs and when one generation died, they were laid out and when the next generation died, they would go in there and they would take the bones of the one who had died and they would take the bones apart and put them in a container underneath and then put the the new generation on top of them. So when it says that they were collected to the bones or they were gathered to the bones of their fathers, that's what they meant. So... To be left in a field after defeated and have your bones whitened by the sun was a huge humiliation to a Jewish people. And so this was the scene of Ezekiel's day, and it's not a pleasant one. It was truly dark, and it was depressing, and it was a difficult time for Israel. And Ezekiel and the rest of Israel had been in captivity for at least 10 years. When God gives a vision to Ezekiel... And he gives him a vision of a valley of dry bones. And essentially, the vision of dry bones was was given to him to interject hope in the midst of a hopeless situation or life in the middle of something that was lifeless or spiritual renewal in the middle of something that seemed ruined. And the promise that was given to Ezekiel and the people of his day is just as true today because everything that God let Ezekiel see and promised him, he will do for us because he is the same yesterday and today and forever, the Scripture declares. And I believe that the church needs to experience a spiritual renewal. When I'm talking about the church, I'm not talking specifically about our body alone. I'm talking about everybody that believes that Jesus Christ is the Savior and in the power of the Holy Spirit. We need a renewing power of the Spirit of God in America one more time. We need it as much now as there has ever been a time in the New Testament. And so I want to go through a process with you. And honestly, I could preach a series of messages out of this. And Pastor Jeff has heard me all week and studying as I'm yelling, Oh, there's so much here, and I have so little time. So we're going to briefly go through these verses together. And in your bulletin, there's a short outline of five key points that I want to recognize that if you want to use it to jot down some notes, you can. The first point that I want to bring up is grabbed by God, and in Ezekiel 37, verses 1 and 2, it says this. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry, One of the interesting things about this scripture is depending on what version of the Bible you're reading, it either says the hand of the Lord was upon me or the "The Lord's hand was upon me. But in the message Bible, it does a little bit more of a word study. And the words they use is God grabbed me. God grabbed me. It gives the sense that God's not just playing games as he touches you going, I'd like your attention. This is somebody where God came and grabbed a hold of the shoulder of the prophet in this thing. Now, in your life, there are going to be things that grab you, and there's going to be other things that grab for you, and what you allow to grab you and capture your attention will determine the course of your life. We look at the parable of the sower in Matthew, and it talks about the seed that was cast out, and there was some fertile ground that some of the seed gathered on, but it said that what grabbed it was the thistles and the weeds. It choked the life of it out because it was grabbed by something else and was never allowed to mature. I want God to grab me today. I hope you want God to grab you too. Here's what I want him to do. I want to be grabbed by a fresh passion to live a life that's sold out to God. I want to be grabbed by God's presence in my daily quiet times and in church. I want to be grabbed by God's heart for the lost, the broken, the hurt, the lonely, the hungry, the naked, and the thirsty. I want to be grabbed by God's power, refiring my faith in the power of God and in the power of prayer and in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the power of a life that's yielded completely to God. I want to be grabbed by God's word. I want his word to wrap itself around my mind, to infuse itself into my thinking, to direct the light of my path, so that everywhere I walk I'm following in the word of God. I want to be grabbed by God-sized challenges. I refuse to live a life that's cursed by mediocrity, surrounded by self-imposed limitations, and adopting a victim mentality. Instead, I stand up in the spiritual realm, and I allow God to grab my life and make me into the man of God and the woman of God that he desires us to be I want to be grabbed by a changeless God who when he says that his power is available we don't just talk about it we experience it I don't want the old stories I want the contemporary power of God to touch us where we're at and if you want God to grab you afresh then you're going to have to position yourself in a place where he can do that and after all that we look and say how does that how does that happen First of all, the hand of God grabbed Ezekiel because Ezekiel was in a place where he could hear from God. There are a lot of things that cry out for our attention and many of them have loud voices and sometimes God's voice is not the loudest because he wants us to pay attention to him. And the hand of the Lord will grab you when you position yourself in such a way that you can be attentive to what he wants to say. You also have to prioritize your spiritual life. You've got to make decisions based on what is best for you spiritually rather than trying to fit your spiritual life into your own life goals. I had a conversation recently with a family who had opportunity at advancement in their career, but they chose instead to remain in a place because spiritually there were things happening in their life and their children that they weren't willing to give up for promotion. Choosing instead to prioritize a spiritual life over the life goals because what God wants was more important than what they could get. You have to resist the distractions of life that try to grab you, when there are things that are trying to grab you that you know will turn your attention from God, you're going to have to shove, shove that off your shoulder and begin to pay attention to him, and then you're going to have to be open to change because when God grabs you, he's going to take you places that you didn't think you could go. And so Ezekiel was repositioned when God got a hold of him. The Bible says that he was taken up. In other words, there was a spiritual scene that he was seeing that could not be seen in the physical realm. The reality is this, whatever grabs you, whatever you allow to grab you will reposition you. That's why we have to make sure that we let God grab us. The second thing that took place within this passage was he was questioned by God. The question in verse 2 said this, Son of man, can these bones live? Ezekiel was faced with a seemingly hopeless situation. The scripture says that the Lord took him and that he led him back and forth in this valley. In other words, he's getting the full view of all of the devastation, of all of the dry bones, of all of the things that were that were not any longer. And as he's going back and forth, there's a reality to his vision to what he's seeing. And then God asks him a question. Do you believe that these bones can live again? And Ezekiel's first thought was probably the same thought that you and I would enter into first. Are you kidding me? I'm in a valley of dry bones. This is worse than a cemetery. At least there, they're buried. Here, they're out in the open. They're decaying. Everything is wrong. But he was smart enough to know that the person who asked the question had the ability to change the situation. There are moments that you look at things in your own life And there are aspects that you think are beyond the ability of God to do anything, and you have considered them hopeless, whether you believe it or not. And the wise thing to do in those moments when we are confronted by a God who sees things that we think are hopeless, and he says to us, Do you believe that that part of you can live again? The wise thing to do is respond like Ezekiel Oh, sovereign Lord, only you know. Only you know. He answered this way because what he could see with his eyes. He could see plainly that everything appeared hopeless in the physical sense. And yet in faith, he recognized that nothing is hopeless with God. When God has grabbed you and your life and your situations are in his hand, he has the power to change things that you don't think he can do because he's the God of the impossible. I know the sovereign God looks beyond the dead bones and the dry bones and the calcified bones and the lazy bones. He looks beyond the the most devastating defeat in your life. Things that you look back on and you just can't get over. You think God can't love me because of some of the devastating spiritual defeats I've had in my life. And in the middle of God grabbing you, he will take you to that place and then he'll ask you this question. Do you believe that was the end? Do you believe that your life ended at that moment? Do you believe that what I can do in you ended with that devastating decision? Because I'm here to tell you something. I want you to know that your decisions are not the last word. I have the power to restore. You see, our God knows things that we don't know, and he's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. So there are some things in your life that without coming right out and saying it, you have concluded are impossible. Maybe you're in a relationship that you absolutely see no way that there can be restoration. And God grabs a hold of you and he says, do you believe that this relationship can live again? Wisely I say, oh sovereign Lord, only you know. Perhaps you are in a position where you are caught in addiction and behavior and you don't even know if that chain can be broken anymore. It seems impossible to you. Maybe you've been praying for loved ones that have not given you the time of day as you shared the hope of Jesus Christ with them, and you've gotten to the point where you're no longer even praying for them anymore because it just seems so impossible for them to, receptive, to be receptive to the gospel. Perhaps you have concluded at this stage of your life that this is as good as it's going to get for you, that it is impossible for God to use you in any significant way. Maybe you're sitting here today and you can't get the amount of debt that you have accumulated off your mind and you feel as if it's strangling you and your family. Maybe there's a health issue that's going on that you just think is impossible. Maybe you've developed an attitude that you do not think is, is a, the, the ability of God to heal can do anything about, but I'm here to tell you something. If you let God grab you, then you let him speak to you. Because I declare into your life today, that for too long you have looked at the dry bones of failure and defeat, and the enemy has told you that it was too late. But today, Almighty God takes you back to the valley of that defeat to declare into your heart today, I will bring life to that which you thought was an end. It will be a beginning, and what I do will be greater than what you ever thought was possible, because I have the last word. He will bring a spirit of living water flowing out of your innermost being. Because nothing is impossible to God. When Sarah was 90 years old, God told her that she was going to bear a son. He reminded her, Is anything too hard for the Lord? God reminded Jeremiah, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? The angel Gabriel reminded Mary in Luke 1.37, For with God, nothing nothing shall be impossible. Jesus encouraged his disciples in Matthew 19, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Can these bones live? Only God knows. But I'm here to tell you, right now if you are living in a valley of dry bones in some area of your life, the word of the Lord can change the situation. He's got the last word. Then there was the instructions that came from God. Within this chapter, there were some a series of very specific instructions that are given to Ezekiel. And they're really a very spiritually fascinating words in the way that he speaks and in what it says to us. In fact, in, in verses 4 through 6, it says, Then he said to me, this is God speaking to him, Prophesy to these bones... And say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. How many of you knew that a skeleton could hear? Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come back to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you, and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. In verse 9, then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. And then in verses 12 through 14, therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says, O my people, I am going to open your graves. And bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. And I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. Here's what's fascinating to me about this. God could have done all the work. Ezekiel sitting right there with him. And God could have just said, "Watch this." In fact, Ezekiel may have even said, "What do you need me for?" But God required participation in order for there to be a miracle. And the interesting thing about that is this is the way God has always worked. You see, I don't know about you. I'm going to speak for myself. I have a tendency to want God to do everything. I tell him, I'll praise you for it. I'll worship you. I'll, I'll give a testimony. You just, just take care of it all for me, Lord. But he always requires that there be a level of participation on our part so that we can recognize, number one, that we're usable vessels. Some of you don't believe God can use you. Some of you have learned to sit back and say, I'm just going to watch everything else that's going on, but God requires your participation. He wouldn't do this without Ezekiel. The other thing that I love about this is how specific he got. He told Ezekiel exactly what to say. Now, as you look through Scripture, you can recognize that this is the way that he worked through Gideon. I mean, the Bible says that, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. In other words, I could do this all and I'll take care of it all, but I want you there and I want you to participate so that you can see firsthand that everything that happens, you're just there. I just need you to be obedient, but the victory is mine. He worked that way through Joshua when he told him, listen, you're going to march around these walls for seven days and at the end you're going to have a little prayer time and a praise time, you're going to blow horns, everybody's going to shout, the walls are going to come down. Now here's what you need to know. I don't need you to march around this thing for seven days because I could knock them down with one of my nostrils. But I require your participation. I require your obedience in this so that you get the sense of my power flowing through you so that when the walls come down, you will have a reason to rejoice and you will also believe me in the future when I say that nothing is impossible to me. So God told Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones. Hear the word of the Lord. You tell those bones that look as if they don't have an ability to even hear with a hearing aid, and they will hear because you're saying what I told you to say. When I was looking at this, I understand that when we in Pentecostal circles use the term prophecy... Oftentimes we think of it only in the sense that, boy, I was talking to somebody who's a prophet and they begin to outline for me the future of my life. I want you to know that that is a very, very, very tiny part of what the biblical meaning of prophecy is. And in fact, I like this particular part the best because there is a spirit of prophecy that lies in the people of God that know his word. There are moments of time just like this when God says here's what I want you to say now we in the New Testament have the benefit of having the revealed word of God through Jesus life to us and so when he tells us to prophesy if you're speaking into somebody's life and using the word of God you're prophesying life into them and so this is one of the reasons when I say that our value is to connect with one another and engage with one another, it is for the purpose that we can speak life into each other as we speak the word of God. God's word to Ezekiel said, you tell those bones, it's my word, but it's your lips. I believe that the church needs to stand up and understand there's more power in God's word when it comes through our lips than we have ever thought possible. Prophesy the word of God to one another. Speak it out. Because what if as God grabs you afresh, he activates a spirit of prophecy within you that as you're speaking the word of God to your family, to your friends, to those around you, it may be a word in season just when they need it the most, and it's life-giving because it comes from Jesus. So when God gives you a word from his word, you speak it boldly. The next thing we discover here is his obedience to God. So God tells him, here's what I want you to say. It's a whole lot easier to do what God wants you to do when he speaks to you specifically about how he wants you to do it and what he wants you to say. And so looking at this impossible situation, God says, this is what I want you to say. And so in verse 7 it says, so I prophesied as I was commanded. In other words, as I was obedient to God to say exactly what he told me to say, There was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone, and I looked, and the tendons, and the flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, and there was no breath in them. Can you imagine what it was like for Ezekiel that the moment that he begins, God says, here's what I want you to do, here's what I'm going to do, you speak it, and so he prophesies, speaking the same thing that God did, but now he's in partnership with God, and the first words that come out of his mouth, the bones begin to move. A little freaky to me. This would be a great Halloween message. (laughs) To the point where, if that had been me, I might have just stopped speaking, going, hey, ooh, this is getting unique. But in obedience, he speaks out, and the bones come together, and everything comes, and and the bones from all over the valley, heads that have been decapitated, suddenly fly across to find the spine they were supposed to be to, and the arms and the legs, and and those that it had, boom, all comes together, and suddenly this valley is full. Now, I was picturing the opposite of what takes place on uh, a, a movie I saw when they found the Ark of the Covenant, and the German guy opened it up, and he melts. You know the movie I'm talking about? Raiders, yes. I would have loved to have had a scene like that and run it backwards today. Cuz he had just unmelted. Because that's what I picture took place here. Just an unmelting of all of these bodies. And at the end of his first prophecy, he looks around and a miracle had taken place. The bones are now all looking like bodies, but you know what? In the middle of all of the organization, in the middle of everything being put together, all they were were beautiful looking corpses. Here's the message in our desire to want to organize our life and our church and our ministries. If we ever get to the point where we stop because we think our organization is good enough to create life, we have missed a step from what God wants to accomplish. I love the process of this, though, that the first prophecy brought everything together, but it wasn't until God says, now here's what I want you to say to all those dead bodies that I put together. I want you to speak life into them from the breath of the Holy Spirit. You see, we can have great services, but if the Holy Spirit doesn't breathe life into us, then all we are is good-looking corpses. I'm not willing in this day and age to simply have a church that just looks good and sounds good and does good things. We've got to have the Spirit of God or we don't have life. We don't have life. Proverbs twenty-one, eleven says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And then you move to the awe of God when he begins to work. You see, when you face a current reality, Ezekiel assessed the situation accurately. He, I love the fact that when God put him in the valley of dry bones, he didn't say, do you see all these live people? No, he says... A, the reality is that you're in a valley of dry bones. I want you to assess this correctly. You see, faith doesn't always, doesn't, you, you know, sometimes we get the idea that faith, oh, I'm seeing something. That's not. No, you can, you know what? This is the situation I'm in. This is real. I'm in, I'm in a death valley. I'm in a place where it, it doesn't look good. The Lord let him realistically assess the situation before he changed it. And so those who believe that Christians are nothing, but oh, you guys live in some foo-foo world that doesn't exist in reality that's not scriptural at all he understood the reality of it very clearly and I think that it's interesting that God will always ask you what you see because he's interested in your perspective before he changes it and in verse 7 he begins to talk about what he prophesied the bones came together there was a process in it and then after all the bones came together He asked him to prophesy again. And he said, and I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. And they came to life, and they stood to their feet. Do you know that that wasn't the end of the plans that God had for that army? They were a worthless group of people that were nothing but bones. Then he put them back together by his command. Then he breathed life in them by his command. But when they stood back up, though they had experienced defeat in the past as an army, they were now a spirit-filled army about to move under the direction of a God who was going to lead them to places in victory in, this, in the vision of Ezekiel. And here's what we need to know. It is not by might nor by power but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Ezekiel was called to breathe, to the the winds to come and give them breath. And, And in John 10, 10, at the end of the verse, it says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. After life was breathed back into these bones, there was an expectation that they would once again fulfill their duties as a soldier. It wasn't good enough just to be brought back to life and be alive again. You've got an important call upon your life to do the work that God wants you and has created you to do. God expects a return on his investment in your life. Most people seem to be happy with a consumer mentality in church. Well, as long as you treat me right, I might keep coming back. You know, to your establishment, as long as everything is there for me, but don't expect much of me. I'm just here until I find something better on. And, 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 and then there was this thought from generation before us of this. You know, faithfulness is all God really wants of us. If I just, if I, I'm faithful, I come to church. I'm faithful in my giving. I'm faithful. You know, when the doors are open, I'm here. I'm just faithful. I'm faithful. And for a lot of people, they considered faithfulness the equivalent of holiness, even though when they weren't in the church, they lived some really unique things. But those are not the same thing. And let me close with this story from the experience of Jesus that I believe is a unique outlook. And I'm going to ask the worship team to come as I read it. It's it's found in Mark chapter 11. In verses 12 through 14 and verse 20, it says, The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Jesus was hungry, kind of like some of you are about right now. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. And when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not in season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Verse 20, In the morning, this is the very next morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the fruits. Do you notice here that God cursed a figless tree rather than commend its faithfulness? It was a beautiful tree. It had leaves. It looked alive. It was standing where it was planted. It was doing its job. It was providing shade. But the thing forgot it was a fig tree. And God says, you're worthless without fruit. So here's the word for the church. Today, God's going to do some restoring of some things in some dry valleys for you. But when he does, don't consider just being faithful good enough. You need fruit. I believe God has great plans for what he wants to accomplish in our area of town. And it's going to require all of you to be reclothed with spiritual skin, to be refilled with the breath of the Holy Spirit, to stand up and be an army of God again, ready for the directions that the Lord will send us on so that we can produce fruit in our life. He's going to call us to accountability because the consumer aspect of church and just, boy, you know, I go there, but I don't really do anything. It's not going to be good enough because we will be rewarded for our fruitfulness.